see here. But well, let's pray. That'll always get us off to a good start. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. That was the old lectionary. Holy cow. Luke's not, of course, that's not quite so tough as having your head chopped off. So, you know, I guess the middle of, uh, I guess the middle of Pentecost is a tough time of year. Luke 9, 62. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Lord, open our ears and our hearts that we heed your hidden wisdom and let your word be a light to our path. Speak to us, Lord, through your word and sacrament that we obey your call and follow him whom you sent, even Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever, world without end. Amen. Okay, uh, let's see. Uh, stuff went around to so you can put your name in. This goes to um, Ghana and or Russia, wherever smart people decide it goes. We were going to have a bit of a Finn's, um, one of Finn's persons is here, a deaconess, um, but she's a bit ill. So I've announced three times that we're going to have a reception, but we're not going to have a reception because she's just had a tough week. Uh, she's been staying at the Brick House, but... Um, She's still a little bit under the weather, so we won't go at 12.15. We'll try, if she's around about another time. I know there are plans for her to travel other places as well. Uh, so it's fascinating how this stuff pops up. I was having lunch with a, with a Wheaton College professor this week, and um, she said to me, you know what's fascinating? How, how, how Paul and James fit together. And then he sort of went on for five or six minutes. And, um, you know, I know sometimes, uh, at least earlier, people struggled with why we were doing what we are doing. Let me just tell you though how he how he defined how he defined Paul in Galatians and James. Galatians and James. So Galatians is saved by faith. James is saved to faith. Galatians is the start of faith. James is the finish of faith. Galatians is what it is. James is what it looks like. So isn't that interesting? The people, um, you know, utterly unsolicited from a completely different tradition or having precisely the same conversation. Very, very interesting. It's coming from all different directions. It's coming from the Anglicans in N.T. Wright. It's coming from uh, Benedict and the Catholics, even at Tizay. If you went to Tizay today, there would be you know, 800 teenagers from 52 countries who all speak different languages, eating very simple food and praying you know, two or four or six or eight times a day and all trying to figure out what it means to be Christian. Uh, you know, you walk down the street, you talk to the people at Wheaton College, you know, they're talking about exactly the same thing that we're talking about, what it means to be a Christian in a postmodern world. So, um, you know, you should be up to speed in any conversation that you find yourself in. So uh, we'll have a go now, and do remember, so two things. One is no reception today. Next week is uh, the vicar and deaconess's last week week after that there'll be a voters meeting at this time so just kind of tend those things I know you're always around about I feel like somebody else asked me to did somebody else ask me to announce something else no okay I feel like I got one more thing I was supposed to tell you okay James 4 a warning against worldliness that wasn't my title I stole that out of the Bible but um, hardly ever do I think those are good titles but this would seem to be a good one what causes quarrels and fights among you is it not this that your passions are at war within you you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So, you know, it's 
underscore one for asking. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. So it's not as if you can just ask for anything you want. There's a right way to ask and a wrong way to ask, apparently, to spend it on your passions. So it's good to be passionate, but you just have to be passionate about the right things. You adulterous people, and you, know, you can read that literally if you want, but a better reading may be that this is the bride of Christ, not acting like the bride of Christ. You adulterous people means act like Jesus' bride. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So you should be here and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and the proto-evangelium, Genesis 3.15, the first gospel promise. So it's, it's amazing that James is saying the same thing that Jesus said to Adam and Eve in the garden. Still the same problem. So that was their problem in the garden. It was their problem in the early church. It's our problem today when we love the wrong thing. Okay, you're, you're a friend of the world. You're an enemy of God. Because the world by nature is corrupt. You by nature are corrupt. And Jesus is here to take his kingdom back, right? One person at a time. Do you suppose it is no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit he made to dwell in us? See, he wants you back. Everybody home in Eden. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the, hum grace to the humble. We'll need to figure out what each of those are. Proud, grace, and humility. If we get that figured out, um, it'll be great. Although I'll just say it so I don't forget to say it later. Um, humility is not what you think it is. Humility means, doesn't first mean sort of this utter mortification. Humility in the most positive sense means utter obedience. Humility is to say, Jesus knows better than I in all things Therefore, I will do exactly as Jesus tells me, and that is a gift and a blessing. Um, just to, when you don't know what to do, do what Jesus did, and life will be good. That's humility. Humility, and, and that's why Jesus was then the most humble of all, because he did exactly what his father asked him to do. Can't this cup pass from me? Uh, well, it could but then we won't get everybody back and the kingdom won't be extended. Does that see how this all works? Or do you suppose uh, that it's to no purpose? Therefore, says God, God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And we need to talk about that because submission, you know, we hear that as a, as a horrible word and that's the best of all words. So it means something like, give yourself gladly to. This is why it's not such a problem when we say in marriage vows, will you submit? Will you give yourself gladly to? We had to have a part in the, for the men, you know, it's, 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 I, I think I told you before, I had a bride once who sent me a note who said, I will not say submit half an hour before the, the wedding. I got a note in my office, you know. Okay, but you cheat yourself out of saying to your husband, I gladly give myself to you. And it would be fascinating and even better if the vow said, if the man said, I submit wholly to Christ, that would be a holy, uh, that would be a, a, a bigger level thing. So, um, maybe, the, maybe the answer isn't just to drop submit out. Maybe it's to intensify it. If you can hear intensify in a gospel way, more Eden, that'd be great. If you could have more, ever more Eden, the best thing about heaven is there'll always be more. Time extends forever. Distance extends forever. There'll always be the next good thing. It goes from one good thing to the next better thing. Every day waking up to the new better thing. The, the more than you need more than. You, can, you, can't, you can't imagine what that'll be like. Submit yourselves to God, you know, utterly. 
resist the devil and he'll flee from you. We'll have to talk about that because people have all kinds of crazy ideas about what resisting means. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Ooh, that doesn't sound like that's going to be a very good numbers class. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. See? Uh, all right, so we sort of ran through... Um, we sort of ran through the first bit. I think we're just about at, did I, I'm embarrassed to say, did we only go to point two? No. We went to point three, did we not? Did we only go to point two? We did go to point three. I was like, good, because I was feeling how long I might have just yabbered on about nothing, Fred. And a guy like you here to save me is always a kindness. Okay, so kind of at point three. If you got a Bible, pull it out, or if you need to look at the front, go ahead and do that. That's good, too. So Hebrews and James, fascinating stuff, chapter 4, all right? So um, how to go forward, right? When, you, when your pastor just said, oh, you adulterous generation, you know, what am I going to do with you? you know, why are you so troublesome? What are you going to do? Uh, how to go forward? Well, you always start with what is and the Greek is agnos, which can mean pure and holy, but it's also the word for true. All that stuff sort of fits together. So you look for whatever is holy. Okay? It's a very simple rubric, actually. If you don't know what to do, if your life is scattered or chaotic, or you have a relationship you don't know what to, how, how to engage it, it's a very simple, simple rubric. You do what's holy, and then you have no idea what that is. Because holiness gets perverted as self-righteousness, it gets perverted in the way of the world, it gets perverted as justice, and then justice gets defined the way the world defines justice, and justice can mean revenge. Things get all mixed up. So if you need to figure out what to do, you do what's holy, and what is holy is utterly distilled in Christ. So in, if you want to know how to go forward, you always say, what is it, uh, what is it, what... What is it that Christ gives to be done in this particular situation? Or what gift is Christ giving? You know, how do you go forward? You distill what then is holy. And that's the end of uh, chapter 3. The wisdom that is from above, and, you know, give it a big W, that's Jesus, is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruit without uncertainty or insincerity and the harvest of righteousness is sown by those who make peace but the very first thing you have to get right is what is true what is holy what is good what is christological that's why it, one reason it's great to be lutheran is that the center of all things is christ you pull everything into orbit around christ he constantly draws you in who he is and what he does. So, and you, you know, you have a ton of description of that from, from the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, to how he lived his own life, to how he preached, spoke, prayed, and to how right now today he sits and prays for you. So what is, and, and this is what comes first. You don't try to manufacture all these other things. These are great things. Mercy, reason, peace, gentleness, good fruits. You know, but you can't manufacture those. What the text says is, 
The wisdom from above is first pure, first pure. So first Christological, and then everything falls into place. So I've given, recognize that purity is automatically given, it automatically delivers, it automatically brings peace. And the ultimate purity is to be forgiven. So how do you order chaos? You order chaos in forgiveness, right? You receive the gift of Christ in absolution. You receive the gift of Christ in baptism. You receive the gift of Christ in Eucharist, and you let that have your way with you. Two, how many of you already came to church? Raise your hands. Too bad. You're going to miss all the big fun. At the last service, there's an 88-year-old woman being baptized along with her uh, like eight-week-old great-granddaughter. As party hats for everybody. This should be very interesting. So um, you can stay, of course, but that might be a little too much Jesus, so be very careful, okay? So, uh, but I mean, you know, so what do you do? I, and I think, you know, you, you learn over the course of your life that we can just say, well, that's the Eucharist, or that's, you know, that's a, and some days all you can barely do is kind of slink to the altar and get the gift. But you really ask yourself what it looks like when you go out, and you know the Eucharist is inside you, or you, or you. I, I, I completely relate to you differently because the Eucharist has been put into you this morning. Um, if I understand that I treat you as Christ, I treat you exactly the way I would treat Christ, then the world orders itself. If you see Christ in every person you meet, the world orders itself. It is automatic. It automatically becomes people. What's happening in, in Mark's Gospel is Jesus, when Jesus enters a room, when he enters a synagogue, when he enters a frenzied crowd, Next week, they're all hungry. What happens? All of a sudden, everything is okay. Things only become chaotic, anti-Eden, when you've lost Christ. So as soon as Christ comes back, uh, everything's going to be okay. So when things go badly, this is number four, do a couple of things. Don't accept troubles and fights as status quo in the body of Christ. Yeah, from time to time, you know, things are going to happen. People are going to get after each other a little bit. But that is not the status quo. If you're in a place, if you're in a, in, a, in a relationship, in a family, in a group, in a church, where the status quo is tension, uncertainty, insincerity, all the other things that he's described here, there's something wrong. It means there's not great, great enough care for the Eucharist. It means there's not great enough memory of baptism. It means there's not sufficient confession and absolution. It means that Christ is present but being rejected. Okay? Because whenever Christ enters a space, a place, a room, a family, a marriage, a relationship, a person, automatically Eden returns and automatically the gifts are given. Automatically the Spirit goes to work. So if there is continual trouble, insincerity, uh, you know, all the other things that James here names, if that's continuous or continual, that means that there's not sufficient ten attention to Christ and his gifts. Um, you can come to the Eucharist every day here now. Uh, except Monday, we probably should repent of that and be here on Monday too. But you know, you could have the Eucharist here, you know, eight or ten times a week. Um, well, every physical touch is a physical touch. You still okay? 
you don't make this harder than it is. This is Naaman, you know, go wash in the Jordan. Wash in the Jordan, you know. I got better rivers than that at home. Uh, just go wash in the Jordan. That's what the prophet told you to do. Okay, so when things go badly, then you do a couple of things. You don't accept troubles and fights as a status quo. And then, as St. James does, you got to ask a few questions. You know, the Christian life is a questioning life, so I'm at the top of five. And the first thing is he says, why? You know, why would any, why would any church have troubles? Remember, this is the pastor talking to a congregation. This is the bishop talking to several of congregations in his charge. And he scratches his head. Now, you know, he's not silly. I mean, he's lived around people. But he says, you know, why in the world, why in the world would you in the church have any troubles? Um, you can think about this yourself. I don't know. You have been in the church in a long time. You, I'm, I'm talking about lots of churches. Would you generally say the churches you've lived in have been characterized by um, peacefulness or chaos? What would you say? You've been, you've been, been in the church a long time. What would you say? Raise your hand if, you're, if the churches you've primarily been in have been, 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 you would say the churches you've been in, the, the primary characteristic is peacefulness. Raise your hand. Because I want to go to your church. <laughs> and some of you, I notice, go to the same church I do. So I'm, now I'm a little bit nervous about, <laughs> maybe we need some kind of meter or something to how we read this, you know. Um, as often as not, though, people's experience in the church is, is uh, not peacefulness. It's, it's chaos. In some form. It can be quiet sort of chaos, like the woman who's bleeding. She bleeds for 12 years and nobody ever knows. That could be quiet sort of chaos if you put all your lepers out of town. They can, they can be chaotic out there and you can go back to whatever it is you're doing. Right? So, you know, what causes the troubles? Why the fights? What's the source? You know, what bubbles up? What gives it, this is the word actually for what gives it birth. What gives it birth? It comes from, he says, from our lusts, from our passions. Um, Hedone is the word from which we get hedonism, which then is sort of self-explanatory. I remember Kirby and I were, uh, how much can I tell you, all your friends? We were, uh, we were uh, at a, on a beach once at a place, at a very kind of normal resort. We were walking down the beach, and all of a sudden, we sort of, we're talking, we're talking, we're talking, all of a sudden, we look up, and everybody's naked. This has probably never happened to you. Uh, and then uh, we're like, gee, that was interesting. And then we looked up, and the, the name of the resort is Hedonism 2. I'm thinking to myself, hmm, we probably should go back the other way. Uh, but you know, this is the this is the this is the, this is the same. This is where it comes from. This is the word. You know, it's from our passion, our lust, from whatever is. Now, this is really simple. Focused on yourself. This is Luther's old thing about all sin is about being curved in on yourself. When your eyes can only see your own heart, you're in desperate trouble. That's why all around you, from stained glass to crucifix, baptismal font to pyramids you know, to the windows back there, to even the colors and the lights. Wherever you look in a church, you have something that should point back to Christ. And that should be true for what you smell, what you hear, um, you know, what you touch. That's why churches, that's why you don't build churches at the bare minimum. And, you know, I'm not making the argument you can't worship in a hut. You can. That's not the point. But you ask yourself, when you're in a place where ever, why do you put more things in? 
because more things point to Christ. Obviously, if they get in the way, you drop them back, but honestly, that's not our problem. Our problem is not that we build church buildings too well, too full. You know, Our problem is not that people give too much to Christ in this church. That's not, I don't mean just this congregation, I mean that's not the church's problem. 80% of the problems in the church are 90% are because things are underfunded and people then get contentious. I can't, I can't tell you the primary problem of the church is being underfunded. It's a, it's a, a primary in the sense that it just makes everything else, it makes all hell break loose. Because basically, why? Because we think only more of ourselves than we do of Christ and his church. It's a really, it's a really, Jesus, that's why Jesus talks about money more than anything else. That's a form of hedonism. It's a way of being about my passions are more important than the passion of Christ, you see. So note there's a switch here um, between the end of chapter 3, where everything is well, and the beginning of chapter 4. And for in three verses, what switches? You started with wisdom. You st- big W, you started with truth, big T. You started with good, big G. You started with Christ, and when you start there, everything just sort of flutters down automatically. I see you as Christ, you see me as Christ. I tend Christ's gifts, you tend Christ's gifts. We're bound together by what Christ gives. We live within the gospel, we live within forgiveness, we live within baptism, we live within Eucharist. When you do that, you get Eden back, and he describes it, and as soon as you don't, as soon as your eyes come off Christ and focus on yourself, on all your passions, your lusts, your hedonisms, then there's trouble. So you see that that's a switch from what is objective, external, directly before you. It's why, it's why these things, it's why you raise the altar, it's why the font is public, it's why we don't, except in an emergency, do, do a private baptism, because those things always raise your eyes to what's objective in Christ. It's why, it's why the Ten Commandments are an objective external standard for what's right and wrong. You don't get to decide what's right and wrong. I don't get to decide what's right and wrong. Jesus already is what's right and wrong. He doesn't just tell you what's right and wrong. He is. He's the incarnation of what is good, and everything else is evil. So there's this objective standard for the public life of the church. And um, whenever I make it subjective, whenever I decide what's right and wrong, whenever I decide that what pleases me is most important, um, I'm a dead man. It's Augustine said, you know, the only people who say the sixth commandment, don't commit adultery, is figurative, are the persons who are committing adultery, right? I mean, the only people who, who ignore the commandments are the people who are breaking them. You have to, because you can't stand the strain, can't stand the weight of them pressing down. Now, the other thing is, is you can have them. You can say of the Ten Commandments, thank you so much for being my God. I can't bear the stress of being God. I'm not perfect. If you try to make me perfect, you will break me. Thank you so much that I have a name to pray and a place to go, second and third commandment. Thank you so much that you've ordered my family life, four, five, six. Honor your father and mother, six, be faithful to your spouse, five, let everything done in a way that promotes life and doesn't diminish life. And tend your mouth, your heart, your eyes, everything else. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't covet. Be happy with what you've got. Don't worry. The Lord will take care of you. Sparrows don't fall from the sky unless he sees them. Hairs don't come from your head unless he's numbered them. Thank you very much for that. That's Eden restored. Christ cares for all things. So the private me, you see, lives by assertion, not by proof. You know that God is the only one who speaks reality. 
Everybody else has to give reasons. You know, when God speaks, it's a reality. But everybody else, if you say to somebody else, you're bad, you need to say why according to the Ten Commandments. If you say to somebody else, you've sinned, pull out the data. It should be publicly verifiable. On the other hand, if you say to somebody, you are fantastic, the next thing you should be saying is, because that's just what Christ would do here, or that's just who Christ is, or that lives within the joy of what Christ has given me. Holy cow. So the trick then is not to want the church that I want, not to want the life that I want, not to want the community that I want. So much of American Christianity is all about you getting what you want, which is utter idolatry. You aren't here so you get what you want. We're not going to improve your lives. We're probably going to make your lives more miserable. You're here so Christ gets what Christ wants. And what Christ wants is a church that lives by who he is and what he does. He wants a church that's constantly exposed to his physical touch and people who don't look like, and now listen to James, like they're friends with the world. If you're a friend with the world, you're not a friend of Christ. And please don't understand this again in some sort of strange piety. This means naturally the world is corrupt. It's broken. It's crumbling apart. It'll go up in flames someday. Okay? If you're friends with that, gee, that's the end of you. But to be friends with Christ is to be loved, is to be forgiven, is to have a future, is to have joy, is to live as one, is to be without contention, is to sin and then be forgiven. And once that um, switch is made, it's only a matter of time um, before things sort of come out. So that's where, where do troubles come? In the end, they come out of your heart. That's what Jesus says. Out of the heart proceeds everything that goes badly. So how do you change people? Touch them with, you change their hearts. How do you change a heart? You put Jesus to it. You touch a person's heart with Jesus. You touch them with the Eucharist. You touch them with baptism. I mean, we're going to say in a minute in these baptisms, we're going to say something like, everybody's born sinful and be deserves nothing but punish punishment. But our Lord Jesus Christ has, and he's going to give all sorts of gifts. It's going to be fantastic to see. So create in me a new heart created me a clean heart. Um, shucks. Uh, I love you, but uh, we got a couple of baptisms we got to do, so we got to stop. You know, things are kind of, kind of went late. You kind of read around. You know, we'll finish this up next week, and then, um, then you'll be free for a week. But you might just begin to think about this. You might just look in your own lives. Here's your homework. As you go out today, even as you stand up and look around the room, I wonder if you can look around at other people, and I wonder if you can see Christ in them. I wonder if you can see that as your default, that as you look people in the eye, what you see people, what you see is, is, not, is not them but the Eucharist. I wonder if you can see that. I wonder if you can see downstairs, you know, Pastor Nelson is running through this stuff that we've developed over the years for um, little kids to come to the Eucharist. One of the things we do is have them, we have this mirror that's covered up and then we have them come peek in the mirror to see what Jesus thinks of them. When they lift the thing, there's a, there's a crucifix hung on the mirror and what they see is the cross of Christ looking back. It obscures their own image. So, the, so what do they think? This is what you should think of yourself. Christ crucified, Christ forgiving you. That's probably about where they are today. Um, that's, how, that's how you should think about yourself and about everybody else around you. Uh, you might think 
when you see people, but for, you might give them the benefit of the doubt because the first thing you should think about them is if they're, that they're baptized. And you, what you'll find is, if you do that, if you're, if you're willing to do that, what you'll find is that things will order themselves and that it comes automatically. And that's why the joy in the discipline of the Eucharist, of baptism, of all these things, that's why there's a joy in that discipline because the discipline changes you. And that's why you hear discipline is a good thing. A disciple, it's, it's just the word for somebody who is an active disciple. You sit in the dust and learn. This discipline is the word for a learner. And um, you can't be a Christian if you're not ever learning because that's what Jesus called. He didn't call them Christians. That's what other people called them. What Jesus called them was disciples, which is to ever be learning. And you only learn by, by, by the touch of Christ. And you only get the touch of Christ in word and sacrament. This is very simple stuff. The problem is not in the, in the explanation. It's not even in the delivery. The problem is in the doing. And so when, when James gets this upset with them, the reason he's so upset is they've, absent of the, they've been absent from the gifts. And the, and the cure is easy then. Reconnect with the gifts. You, you're retouched, retold. Cure's easy if we'll only have it. So we should pray. Plenty to do and fun to have. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.